Good morning. Man, the 11 o'clock is really going to have to do good to top that. Like, that was a pretty engaging good morning, I'll be honest with you. My kids didn't even say good morning that excited to me this morning. So thank you all very much. So good morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome to Tri-Cities Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. My name is Jeremy Bledsoe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Baptist And it is an honor to be able to open up God's Word and preach from it this morning. If you are new here to Tri-Cities and you're a guest, uh, we invite you to after the service or sometime this morning to go out these doors to the left. There's an area called the Hub. We would love for you to go out there. You can fill out a Get Connected card. And we would love to get to know you and to tell you more about what it means to be a member here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Um, I just want to let you guys know something. I've only had a cup and a half of coffee this morning, which is kind of down from where I'm usually at at this point in the day. But I am so jacked up right now and excited. And I'm excited for a few different reasons. One, I love summer weather. Amen? It's in the 80s. It's sunny. I got a little sunburnt yesterday. Last week it was cold and it was rainy. I love summer. I'm excited about this weekend. Something else I'm excited about is VBS is coming out coming up. Who's going to VBS? Kids. That's it. You guys are going to VBS. Who's serving in VBS? Anybody? All right, we got some people serving in VBS. And I am excited about Vacation Bible School because the theme is back to the 90s. Now, I grew up in the 90s. I was in my prime of my teenage years in the 90s. And I'm just going to say, I'm hoping that the Zach attack leads us through worship and that we go back to the max and hang out with Slater and Kelly afterwards and just kind of see what's up. If you all grew up in the 90s and you watched Saved by the Bell, you know what I'm talking about. It may have been before some of y'all's generation. Maybe you don't. It may have been after. Maybe you don't. But I'm telling you, to me, that was funny. So I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm also excited for us to continue our current sermon series through the book of Hebrews, specifically looking at how Jesus is the better high priest. Now, before I get into that, I want to quote Theodore Roosevelt, who said, Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who led difficult lives and led them well. Now, Theodore Roosevelt isn't talking about walking and following Jesus. But you need to know what he said is so applicable to us as Jesus' followers today. Following Jesus costs us something. It costs us something. It's hard It is hard to grow as a disciple of Christ who strives to become more like him and strives to make other disciples of Jesus Christ. It is hard work. But let me tell you this morning that Scripture promises that it's worth something. It's worth the hard work. And... That's why we have here at Tri-Cities, that's why we have um, things like equip on Wednesday nights to help guide you and equip you 
Because we know it's hard to grow as a disciple. We know it's hard to make disciples. And we want to come around you and help you in that. That's one way we try to, to get through it together. And the Bible promises that Jesus is worth the hard work. Studying Hebrews is worth the hard work. And we've acknowledged several times throughout this sermon series that we've been studying through Hebrews this year that studying Hebrews requires a lot of mental effort. And let me just be honest with you. As somebody who wasn't born with a lot of mental capabilities, (laughs) those of you all who know me know this is true, it's harder work for me than it is for most of you. (laughs) If I had hair this week during the sermon prep, I would have pulled it out. But I don't have any, so I started tugging on that. But to help us study Hebrews as a church, I want to let you know about a few resources. First, we have the reading plan. We have a reading plan, and we also have suggested study resources. You can find those on the website, and you can find them on the church, the TCBC app under Hebrews. These are really great resources to help us unpack and study Hebrews together. And if you need to catch up on a sermon or listen to it again, you can go to, uh, you can download the podcast, the TCBC podcast, and listen to the sermon then. Or you can go on YouTube. It's recorded on YouTube. Now, these resources aren't in any way uh, a replacement for being at the gathering, but they are a great resource to help you meditate on the truth of God's word throughout the week. So this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews 7, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And like a lot of the messages leading up to this point, it's going to require a lot of mental work to follow the argument that the author of Hebrews is making, and that is that Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better high priest. I'm telling you, coming out of the other side of this two-week study that I've been doing this, I'm telling you, it is awesome. It is amazing. I'm excited. We're going to have fun. Y'all already have fun? Majority of y'all said, yeah. The other one said, man, y'all got a crazy definition of fun. Definition. Anyways, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you have given us Jesus, the better revelation. You've given us Jesus, the greater high priest who intercedes on our behalf so that our sins may be atoned for and that we may be found righteous before you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be able to gather here today to proclaim the good news of your word. Lord, may your glory be on display this morning as we go through this book. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we go into Hebrews 7, I want us to quickly look back at Hebrews and see what the author of Hebrews has already said regarding Jesus' role as high priest. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 6, the author of Hebrews reminded the readers of the purpose of the high priest. Now, Pastor Paul preached on this on March the 19th and March the 26th. You can go back and listen to the podcast or watch the video if you want to recap on that. But we're going to jump in here at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. All right, the author of Hebrews says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God 
to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. You see, the priests were the people, were the men who connected the Jewish people to God. You see, the Jews needed access to God, just like we need access to God, right? But they couldn't go directly to God themselves. They needed a priest, a high priest, to mediate on their behalf before a holy God. For example, on the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel needed blood to be spilled on the mercy seat within the temple in order to be a, their, have their sins atoned for. The thing was, though, is the mercy seat was located in a place called the Holy of Holies. The Israelites could not go into this place themselves and put the sacrificial blood on the mercy seat. They needed a high priest in order to do that. Okay, And the high priests were um, given to the people by God. God designed it that the descendants of Levi and Aaron would serve as priests. And that only the high priest taken among those priests could be the one who could offer the sacrificial blood and spill it on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. But did you catch something in Hebrews 5? The high priest also had to atone for his own sins too. Because he too was not perfect. He too was a sinner. He too needed to be made right with God. And the first high priest ever given to the people of Israel was Aaron, the brother of Moses. The Israelites knew who Aaron was. And they knew who Moses was. And, they were, and Aaron was a descendant of Levi. You can read more about this in Exodus 32, 25 through 29. So catch this. Aaron, the first high priest ever, was a descendant of Levi. Who's Levi? Levi was the great-grandson of Abraham, the father of Israel. Levi was the great-grandson of Abraham, the patriarch of Israel. Trust me, the Jewish faith was so founded on the promises God made to Abraham. So for the Jew, the priesthood, the high priest was of most, most importance. And in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 and chapter 5, 4 through 5, the author of Hebrews demonstrates that Christ fulfills the role of high priest. Okay, this is where the hard mental work comes in, so hang in here with me. All right, so we have the high priest, and then Hebrews explains how Jesus fulfills the role of high priest. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, catch it, yet without sin. He was a greater high priest. He didn't need to make atonement for his own sins. He was spotless. He was perfect. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time 
of need. Hebrews 5, 4 through 5. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The author of Hebrews is declaring that Jesus is the better high priest. Now in Hebrews 7, the author of Hebrews is going to demonstrate that not only is Jesus a high priest, and he's a better high priest, but that Jesus is a greater high priest than Levi. I know that doesn't have a lot of weight with us in this room, but you start tossing stuff like that out in the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, man, people won't back up. It carried weight with them. And this is very, very important for Jewish Christians in that day to understand because they were tempted to turn away from Jesus and return to Judaism. They were tempted to do this because they were being persecuted for their faith. They were tempted to do this because in their suffering, in their trials, they couldn't necessarily feel God or see Jesus anymore. And they, wanted, they were tempted to revert back to something that they could feel, they could see, and they could do through the Levitical priesthood to make themselves feel right with God, to feel redeemed. And the author's purpose in writing Hebrews and to include chapter 7 is to warn the readers, do not turn back from Christ because he is their only hope. For salvation. There is no other. Don't revert back to an inferior Jewish religion. Stand firm in your faith with Jesus. And again, the priesthood was foundational to Judaism. And if Jesus was truly the Messiah, if Jesus was truly the high priest, then he would need to demonstrate that he's even a greater high priest than Levi. Again, you may be saying to yourself, yeah, but I've never relied on a Levitical priest to make atonement for my sin. I've never relied on a Levitical priest to be my mediator. I've never experienced real persecution like the Jewish Christians did 2,000 years ago. Those are true statements. But we do live in a culture that is opposed to biblical Christianity. A culture that tries to sell us and the rest of the world a shallow Christianity that proclaims that Jesus died on a cross for our sins in order for him to conform to us. Following Jesus doesn't mean Jesus conforms to us. It means he's transforming us to conform us to him. Oh my gosh, we can't miss this. But there is a shallow gospel that appeals to our flesh that wants Jesus just to conform to us because it really makes it easier on us. It's not hard. It makes it easier on us because we fit in more with the culture. We're tempted in our flesh to rely on a religious engagement to justify our position in front of God. You're like, man, but I don't, I don't make atonement through a Levitical priest. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. In our flesh, we are tempted to rely on our engagement with church life to justify us before God. 
We rely on the fact that we were born in a Christian home, that we grew up in the Bible Belt, we say Christian things, and we're really not that bad of people, so we're going to rely on that to justify us before God instead of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. In our flesh, we are tempted to do that. And this morning, we need the warning from the author of Hebrews to not reject Jesus. But it's not just a warning. We also need his encouragement to stand firm in Jesus. Do you need encouragement this morning? Some of you are struggling this morning. Some of you are all struggling for various reasons. And it just seems so much easier just to give up and adopt some shallow version of Christianity. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Don't turn back. Stay firm in your faith. And last week, Pastor Micah unpacked how Jesus serves as a high priest and how Jesus will serve as a high priest forever. And this morning as we get into Hebrews 7, the author of Hebrews is going to make the point that Jesus is a greater high priest than Levi. And the author is going to use a historic figure by the name of Melchizedek to do it. Melchizedek. A lot of syllables. And the author of Hebrews has already mentioned Melchizedek a few times already. In chapter 5, 5 through 10, the author of Hebrews writes, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 10, chapter 5, being designated by God a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the author of Hebrews begins talking about the order of Melchizedek and how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But then we know that there's like a little bit of a false start. And I think Daniel preached about this a few weeks back, right? So it's like the author of Hebrews starts talking about Melchizedek and then he stops and says, well, hold on a second. Let's put a pen in Melchizedek. You're not ready to hear this. You're sluggish in your pursuit of Christ. And then he spends a little bit of time just admonishing and encouraging his readers to press on towards maturity in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, the author picks back up on Melchizedek. In verse 19, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the, of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This is priestly language here having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, just covering four, five, and six really quick was hard work. I'm wore out. I don't know about you guys. But let's move on to chapter seven. Y'all ready? Man, y'all aren't as encouraged as you were a little bit ago. I got a lot of whoops earlier. All right, Hebrews chapter seven, verse one. For this Melchizedek... King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life 
But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. That brings us to today's big truth. Melchizedek is greater than Levi. So think with me for a minute how this would have landed on the Jewish Christians at that time. The author of Hebrews is declaring that Melchizedek is a priest of the God Most High, Yahweh. And not only that, but Melchizedek was superior to Abraham, their patriarch, and the father of the Jews. And Abraham was also the great-granddaddy of Levi. And Hebrews is saying Jesus was superior to that, to him. And since Melchizedek was greater than Levi's great-grandfather Abraham, then Melchizedek had to be greater than Levi. And if Melchizedek was greater than Levi, then Melchizedek was greater than the priestly order that descended from Levi. Jesus is the greater high priest. He's greater than Levi. Now remember, the Jewish Christians of that day had turned to Jesus Christ. They had placed saving faith in Jesus Christ. They knew this about Jesus, but they were still tempted now in their struggles and their persecution and their trials to turn back to this inferior priesthood that was only meant to point to Jesus. Now, to people living in East Tennessee 2,000 years later, the name Melchizedek, again, doesn't land on us the same. And a quick side note, just to let you guys know, we got a boatload of Johns in this church. We got some Joshuas, and we got some Davids. If one of y'all who's expecting would name your kid Melchizedek, that would be wonderful. And it was one of your pastors here at Tri-Cities, I promise you, on that kid's first birthday, Pastor Paul will wear his Superman costume at that kid's party. Who doesn't want to see that? Right? Anyways... But seriously, even though the name Melchizedek doesn't carry a lot of weight with us today, it did to the Jewish people because Moses wrote about Melchizedek in Genesis. And then King David wrote about Melchizedek in Psalm 110. So who is this Melchizedek? Before we dive into Scripture's account of Melchizedek, I want us to first gain an understanding of biblical typology. Okay? Biblical typology. And all that means is that there are various people and events in the Old Testament that are actually foreshadows or pictures of Jesus Christ. And that Scripture uses these pictures in the Old Testament to point towards Jesus Christ. And the New Testament uses these pictures and identifies how these earlier Old Testament pictures pointed towards Jesus. All right? 
So you'll see Old Testament types of Christ that point towards Jesus. They're not Jesus themselves, but they're pictures meant to point to Jesus. And the author of Hebrews has already used typology in describing that Jesus is the fulfillment of several Old Testament types already. He's been using this throughout the Old Testament. To give you a few examples, in Hebrews 1, in Hebrews 1 the, the author of Hebrews explains how the prophets are a type of Christ. He explains that the prophets were the Old Testament revelation that spoke of Jesus. They spoke of Jesus. But Jesus fulfilled their prophecies. He was the fulfillment of the prophets. That's why we say that Jesus is the better revelation. The prophets pointed towards Jesus, but they found their fulfillment in Jesus. He is the better revelation. In Hebrews 3, the author uh, explains how Moses also is a type of Christ. While God used Moses to deliver all of Egypt or all of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he delivered the law to them. God used Jesus to deliver all people from the bondage of sin, which is greater than the bondage of Egypt. And not only did God give the people the law, he used Jesus to fulfill the law. Jesus is the greater Moses. And in Hebrews 4, the author shows us how Joshua and the promised rest that he had promised the Israelites were just foreshadows of Jesus Christ. After Israel wandered in the, de- in the wilderness for 40 years, God used Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land where they could find rest. God uses Jesus to lead his people to an eternal rest. The Old Testament uh, promised land was just a picture of something greater. And we see in Hebrews that Jesus is the greater Joshua and Jesus is the greater rest. You need to go back and study this. This is so helpful in understanding how all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And Melchizedek is also a type. And throughout our remaining time this morning, we're going to see how Melchizedek points to Jesus and how Jesus is the greater high priest. So the first mention of Melchizedek in Scripture is in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. This is the encounter that the author of Hebrews is mentioning. This is an encounter between Abraham and Melchizedek. All right, so Abraham's returning from a military victory, if you will, and he has this encounter with a man named Melchizedek. Genesis 14, 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. You see, Melchizedek's importance was because who he was the priest of. He was the priest of the God Most High. And Abraham tithed to Melchizedek because he realized who God was. And he realized that Melchizedek was his priest. So how do we know that Melchizedek was a type of Christ, someone who foreshadowed Christ, someone who pointed to Christ? Well, we know this because a thousand years after Genesis 14 was written, we come to Psalm 110 where David writes, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. 
Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in the holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your mouth, the, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, David is declaring that God, Yahweh, is saying this to Jesus. He's saying this to Jesus. Jesus confirms this in Matthew 22, 41. In speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. He's referring back to Psalm 110. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Jesus is saying, Listen. When the Lord is speaking to the Lord, he's saying, you'll be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is the Father telling me that I am that priest in the order of Melchizedek. Which brings us to our, next, our big idea. Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This means that anytime scripture, such as Hebrews 7, 9, declares that Melchizedek is greater than Levi, get this, he's actually saying Jesus is greater than Levi. So anything he declares to be true of Melchizedek in Hebrews, he's actually declaring that to be true of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the greater high priest. And we need to pause to recognize something here that's really awesome and something that just, I was overwhelmed this week and just thinking about. Is that all of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Meaning God is the author of all Scripture. And God used this character Melchizedek, this real person Melchizedek, to point us to Jesus and to show us who Jesus Christ is and how he serves as the greater high priest. Think how God did this. He mentions Melchizedek just briefly in Genesis. Then he wastes a thousand years and he uses David to mention Melchizedek in Psalms. Then he wastes another thousand years and does the same thing in Hebrews. God is the sole author of Scripture and he keeps writing this story. How amazing is that? That blows my mind. Now purposely we're going to skip over Verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 7. But we're going to get them at the end. We're going to catch them at the end. But if you'll go with me to Hebrews 7.3, we're going to see that Jesus is a priest without beginning or end. Verse 3. He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See, the author of Hebrews is doing a couple things here. He's comparing Melchizedek's lack of genealogy in Genesis to the Levitical priest genealogy descended directly from Levi. The author of Hebrews is not declaring that Melchizedek didn't have parents. He's not declaring that that he was never born and that he never died. He's not saying that. What the author of Hebrews is doing is he's acknowledging that the author of Hebrews, God, purposely chose to be silent about Melchizedek's birth, death, or parents. He's doing this to show that his high priest isn't dependent upon being a descendant from Levi. It's not dependent upon that. Right? So how does this point us forward to Jesus? In verse 3, let's read it again. 
He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Here's the part. But resembling the Son of God, he's a picture of the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. You see, Jesus is not a descendant of Levi. In his flesh, we know that Jesus actually descended from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is eternal. Levitical priests are not. And since Jesus is eternal and he lives forever, then his priesthood never ends. And since his priesthood is eternal, we can be sure of the salvation that he offers forever. Hallelujah. Amen. That is our hope this morning. So when you're going through the trial, when you can't feel God, when it's not something tangible you can just do, see, feel, or whatever that is, remember what God's word says. Jesus is is the greater high priest, and his priesthood exists forever. Our hope is forever entrusted in Jesus, and he's the priest who forever reigns as a priest. Amen. That is our hope. That is our encouragement. Jesus is a priest without beginning or end. And then in verse 4, the author of Hebrews continues to describe the greatness of Melchizedek. In verse 4, he says, See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. The author is telling his readers to stop and consider how great Melchizedek was. Even their father of the Jews, even their daddy Abraham, paid tithes to this Melchizedek. Verse 5. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. This brings us to verses 7 through 10. It tells that Jesus is superior to Levi. Verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Catch this. This is very important. Jesus is a priest superior to Levi because the inferior is blessed by the superior. Abraham was inferior to Melchizedek. Abraham is inferior to Jesus Christ. It is God, it is Jesus Christ who blesses Abraham, not the other way around. Jesus is a priest superior to Levi because the Levitical priests were men who eventually died. Jesus Christ lives forever. In, in Hebrews 5, 6, the author has already quoted Psalm 110, declaring that Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But Jesus is also a priest superior to Levi because Levi paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the greater high priest. Here's the point. Don't go back to an inferior priesthood that ultimately pay tithes to a superior priest in Jesus Christ. So in the midst of their trials, in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their temptation, the author of Hebrews is making this point. Do you really want to go back to an inferior priesthood and place your hope in that priesthood being your mediator with God? When God and only God, Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ, 
is the true way to salvation. Jesus is superior to Levi. And before we close, we're going to go back and read the first two, the two, first two verses of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned the tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. See, not only is Melchizedek the priest of the God Most High, Melchizedek is also king. There is no other person found in Scripture outside of Melchizedek and Jesus Christ that is both priest and king. Melchizedek was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the picture of Jesus, meant to point to the greater priest king, Jesus Christ. In his king, Jesus upholds the righteousness of God. The author of Hebrews introduced Hebrews by declaring that in verse, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You, Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. As king, Jesus upholds righteousness. And as king, Jesus brings peace between sinful man and holy God. The prophets prophesied about Jesus coming and one day being that. Isaiah wrote in chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The author of Hebrews Starts to wind Hebrews down in chapter 13, verse 20. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus brings us peace through his blood. But Jesus, again, isn't just any high priest. He is the king priest who is greater than Levi. Jesus is the king priest who upholds the righteousness of God. Jesus is the king priest who brings us peace. Jesus is the only intercessor between God and man. The only way. The ultimate author of Hebrews and all of scripture itself tells us that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through him. And God is warning these Jewish Christians to not turn from their faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. He's warning them to not revert back to an inferior priesthood. He knows that their life is hard. God knows their life is hard. And it can be tempting to retreat from following Jesus to avoid persecution and to be more accepted by the culture. God knows that when times are tough and we can't feel God, that we are tempted to run to something we can see, touch, and feel. He knows that sometimes we can be deceived by our feelings. And that we desire a proof of salvation that we can tangibly see or perform. And then when we don't have those things, sometimes we just don't feel saved. God understands this about the Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago. God understands that about us today. God understands this, and yet he warns us 
to not turn our back on Jesus. And he encourages us to stay firm in our faith, to trust only in the king priest who can mediate us between God or be a mediator between us and God. And that mediator is only Jesus Christ. I want to ask the team to come up as we move into a time of response. During this time, I want you to ask yourself, who is your high priest? Who are you trusting in to be your mediator before a holy God? Like the author of Hebrews, I encourage you, don't retreat to lesser things or a lesser gospel that cannot save. We have the superior king priest in Jesus that we can place our hope in. The author of Hebrews trusts us or encourages us to trust in Jesus Christ, who is the king of righteousness and peace. The great high priest who is currently right now sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for you and me today if we're in Christ. So how do we respond to this truth in Hebrews? God calls us to resist the temptation to revert to a shallow version of the gospel that is more culturally accepted. Resist the temptation to find your justification in the Lord through a set of religious rituals. Resist the temptation to find your justification of the fact that you grew up in a Christian home, you say Christian things, you do Christian things. Don't place your hope in those things. Your hope's in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Resist the temptation to place your trust in an inferior mediator between you and God. Trust. And the greater high priest who is our priest forever. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, search our hearts. Lord, please convict us. Lord, of any way that we're not trusting in you. In any way that we are trusting in something much more inferior to be our mediator between you and us. Lord, may we only look to Jesus Christ for our justification, Lord. And we praise you for Jesus, who is the one and only greater high priest, who is the mediator between those in Christ and you. He's the only mediator possible. Lord, and you have provided him. He is our king. He is our priest. Lord, we praise you for Jesus Christ. We praise you for his word that we get to look at this morning that declares these truths about him to us. Lord, may we trust in him and him alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.